0: The optometry talks podcast series is brought to you by optometry new south wales act your peak professional body
1: uh, not bad not bad at uh, all, well, nick thank you for having me it's uh been a while since i've done a podcast so
0: this is great <laughs> mate you'll be absolutely great i'm sure really looking forward to having a good chat with you about what you do i thought maybe you could just start by telling us you know what is it you do at the moment you do, you do optometry Do you do something else do you do a bit of everything
1: yep yeah, uh so at the moment I run my own practice called Eyes to Learn Optometrists. And what we are, we are like a behavioral optometry practice. Our main specialty of course being binocular vision, visual processing evaluations, in-office vision therapy. Part of that requires me to train optometrists in lots of binocular vision. I also train staff to prepare reports. And I am always writing something in our assistant manuals, so I guess the idea is email find a way. People kind of know what to do. So it's not all just reliant on me. How
0: long have you been running this practice for?
1: I started in March 2020, just before COVID lockdown.
0: Good time to start. I'm sure it would have made the start of your practice a little bit different. <laughs> it,
1: it, it was very different. Um, but I guess the lockdown gave me a lot of time to write up a lot of admin stuff. So, it worked out very well because like usually when you're running a practice, you're so busy, you don't get time to do things that matter more, which is the planning aspect. So, preparing all that during the lockdown meant when we came out, we were better able to handle the volume.
0: Apart from running the practice, obviously that would take up a lot of time. That sounds like something where there's a lot of admin and I guess reports and things involved. Do you do anything else in the optometry field?
1: Yes, um, I have my charity, Eyes for Everest. We also have an app company that makes some apps for optometry. That's in the optometry field, outside optometry. Of course, having your own practice means you have more flexibility with your time. So during the day, if there's no patients, you know, you might go for a run, go to gym, go home for a nap, have lunch at a nice place. Go on a date with your wife. That that's the benefit of having your own practice.
0: Yeah. yeah. So in terms of your you know, I guess average week, yes would you, would you say most of your time is devoted to running, you know, your practice, or would you say it's a fifty percent practice, fifty percent app development and, and eyes forever is or does it really vary?
1: So because of COVID, Icewebris has been quite quiet. We're not taking volunteers over. So most of our jobs is organizing, uh, you know, thinking where the funding should go in terms of training up new staff to run uh, future missions. We also are sending a Nepali optometrist group uh, in our absence. So most of that just comes from me it happens at night. And because the guys have done it for the last five years they don't really need me to tell them what to do they kind of know what they have to do already and we just usually provide the funding so it doesn't take that much time uh, in terms of the app app is takes up a lot of time in terms of uh, the legal requirements the technical aspects often it's not hard to do but it is some work that goes into it uh, we are waiting on an app that uh still classified information, but there is a particular test being developed in Melbourne. And we basically said, look, if you want help digitalizing it, uh, we'll, we'll be very happy to partner up with you. Uh, I guess we all know that it's very hard to get optometry projects off the ground because there's not a very big market for it. But if it helps the profession, we we're all kind of behind that
0: kind of thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about you know what your app does? Obviously, it's an app for optometrists and, and patients that we treat. So it's called MakeMind, is that right?
1: Yes, MakeMind is a company. So we made three apps, well, four apps actually. But one of the apps, the most popular app is the developmental eye movement test. And that was done with the permission of the guys that made that test back in 1980-something. And essentially, the kid has to read Lumbers down the page then across the page, and you use the scores to basically detect whether the kid has an eye movement dysfunction or whether that they're just slow to get their lumbers out. So from that information, you can kind of pick out, okay, am I dealing with someone who has a true eye tracking issue or eye reading movement issue? Or do they actually have something in that processing element that's getting, that's making it hard for them to read? And that, that might determine your course of management. So it used to be when you get those scores, you had to go back to the manual. You have to, you know, calculate in your head based on the number of errors they made, what their real score is, and then find what percentile they're on. With the app, we basically said, you just click the button and boom, everything comes out. You just know what you have to do. So that's, that's used all around the world. We're very happy to have created that. Uh, We also had a children's storybook app, which is our way of trying to help parents learn about visual processing issues and how that would affect learning. So there are three games in that children's storybook. They were visual sequential memory, visual discrimination, auditory visual integration, and just like very basically illustrate how this might affect the kid. The backend of the app Allowed basically the parent to use the app to find a practitioner, but most parents don't use that function. They just like Google and behavioral optometrists. But the and we also made an app for eyes for Everest, Obviously, in order to get all the information from the mountains straight to our dispensers in Kathmandu, it was important to have an app that kind of made sure that everyone was doing things the same way, recording everything the same way. And it meant that, you know, dispensing jobs could be like started straight away as soon as we had internet, you know. The app that we want to make for the tests in Melbourne is a visual processing test, basically. And it's been made by a pediatric optometrist in Melbourne.
0: So do you have a background in tech or is app development just been something you've come across and you've been really interested in?
1: I don't have a background in tech. I guess the desire to get into tech was because I thought it was a solution for making life a lot easier for behavioral optometry. Obviously that particular side of optometry is very admin heavy. And we wanted to use technology as a way of simplifying the whole process. So very early on, like I started approaching many app developers and just saying, you know, is this possible? And I think after pitching my ideas to a few developers, one of the developers was like, you know what? I kind of want to get involved in, uh, he, he thought I had a vision. I was quite passionate about the work and I was willing to put the hard work as well. So we came together to form like the make mine company. So I, I have friends who are graphics designers and I guess I have a few connections as well and having the app person do the technical part and not have not cost anything meant we had a lot more room to experiment with so yeah that's how i got involved i'm not tech at all. Oh, i just happened to find people that could do the tech for me when you
0: started i guess looking into app development and things were there any speed bumps or problems that came up that you didn't even know existed like you, you mentioned before maybe legal issues or anything else things that you didn't anticipate did you come across a lot of those or was it pretty straightforward Uh,
1: the technical aspect of the apps is quite straightforward of course you have to make something that's quite simple the biggest legal issue i think comes with privacy like once you start putting patient data inside the actual app it becomes an issue so we made our apps to be super generic you know Uh, you don't have to enter your date of birth or your detail you just like use it as a calculator. There's also, again, licensing and loyalty issues, especially when you use other people's tests. For example, if you're using a developmental eye movement test, you have to pay a little bit of what you make from the app to the people who distribute the app and the inventors. You also have to pay Apple. So at the end of the day, there's really not that much left for the developers. Well, I think that's the most legal the biggest legal thing about it that i think it takes it costs more money and takes more time to work out the whole legal aspect of things the technical aspects is actually very straightforward
0: obviously you got one in the pipeline at the moment but now that the other three are established is there a lot of admin to keep them running or is it a lot of hard yards at the start and then you just just
1: sit back yeah Yeah, it's like you say, most of the time, the apps, once it's up and running, you just let them go. But Apple, from time to time, will upgrade their platforms, which means you have to kind of upgrade your apps as well. So, like, we decided last year that there was no need to upgrade the platform for our children's storybook app because I guess it was past its uh, expiry, you know, parents weren't really using it anymore, we weren't really using it. So we decided, yeah, we'll just leave this one for now. We can bring it back to life if we feel like the time is right. Uh, But yes, in terms of maintenance, there's not too much work that needs to be done.
0: And then obviously, alongside the apps, you've got your charity Eyes for Everest. When did that start?
1: Uh, That started back in February 2013. Uh, I was trekking in the Everest region of Nepal in the middle of winter, which was terribly cold. At the time, I didn't get to my objectives, so we turned back early and I went to visit the hospital that was built by my childhood role model, Sir Edmund Hillary. And Edmund Hillary was of course the first man to climb Mount Everest, but he dedicated his whole life to trying to improve the life of Sherpas. And being a Kiwi and also for myself growing up in New Zealand, I was able to listen to him talk about his work. So when I went to visit the hospital and then the doctors there said, oh, you know, we have kids that can't see the board. Can you help us? Uh, I felt like it was like my calling to do something about it. Like they had like a trial and set from 1966, which were half missing. Uh, bags of donated glasses and a vitometer, And they didn't know how to use it. So I spent that afternoon basically trying to, uh, well, I taught them how to use the vitometer. We put all the trolling set back. One of the doctors was picked up a minus one seven five and said, wow, I could see so much clearer in the distance. And so I guess that was a very strong call to go back to equip that hospital, um, uh, with the resources they need to basically do primary eye care for, for their people. So I wrote another code on eye care plus. Three people replied one then was Jenny who's one of the co-founders of ice for Everest um, and I also spoke to Karina who uh, at the time was running yo and we basically well she basically made me realize that no one was going to do anything about the Everest region it was up to me to do something about it so I kind of went down this road of asking a lot of different people for their ideas and helps and slowly i learned what i needed to do to start up a charity there was a lot of paperwork in doing that and we got a little bit of sponsorship from cr Surfacing, acbo adidas and we were able to put up enough it was only two thousand dollars but we put up enough money to purchase like you know basic eye testing equipments and then we had like a group of four people myself included my brother karina jenny we went on this trip to do like uh, our first eye mission at the hospital. We rocked up in 2014 and like saw 152 patients over two and a half days, mostly kids. Oh, so naked. So, so naked. And you know, I guess one of the most heartbreaking things, even though we were exhausted, at 5 p.m., there were still kids outside lining up. And worse of all, those kids had to walk home in the dark, you know? Like they were from villages four to five hours away. And because of that, they had to walk home in the dark. We just realized, well, we can't just keep going to one location, you know? Not all the Sherpas live in Khunjung uh, Khunde, which is like the main towns. There were towns uh, four to five hours, some were probably seven to eight hours away. So we decided that, again, wrote about our experience and more people wanted to join. And we decided that rather than us basing ourselves at the hospital, we would carry our, our equipment and go to those villages and see the people there. Which was a good idea because there, there is actually a lot of patients who are so blind, maybe because of cataracts, that they're literally bounded to their village and in some cases bounded to their own homes. You know, that was how bad their visual impairment was.
0: So you've obviously got just an amazing range of skills and a drive to do the app development, to do the eyes for Everest. You also have your own practice that's running. Is that what you imagined when you first started optometry?
1: I think... I would not have imagined my optometry life to be this colorful. I'm glad it did because literally after 10 years of optometry, you start asking yourself questions like, can I do this for another 10 years? So if you mix up your clinical life with very meaningful projects that benefit other people less fortunate than you, or even projects that benefit the profession, I feel like it it just gives you a very strong sense of purpose. Optometry doesn't really teach you the things that I have learned on this journey. And I suppose I encourage all optometrists, especially young optometrists, to just be a little bit entrepreneurial. If there's something in and it, itching, just give it a go. You never know where it leads. Like not all my projects were like super successful, but you learn stuff through it. And that learning might actually
0: help you later with something else down the track. So did this entrepreneurship come naturally to you? Is there something that you had to do to develop this? Would there be anything you recommend for people who are looking to build their own entrepreneurship and their own ideas? Uh, I think it
1: is important to find uh, networking groups that are outside of optometry. It's easy for optometrists to just hang out with themselves. But there are plenty of like entrepreneurial groups out there, which you can join, um, where you can kind of like pitch ideas or listen to other people's ideas, other people's projects. It gives you a feel for what is currently possible and not, you know, practically possible. I would just start with that. You know, networking is what allowed ice for Everest to happen. If you live in a big city like Sydney, I think anything is possible. It's a lot harder in smaller
0: towns like Canberra and Newcastle. So you have your own pediatric practice, two apps running and maybe a third on the way, and also your non-for-profit eyes for Everest. Just looking at your career, it's so diverse. There are so many optometrists out there, myself included, who are really hoping to diversify and expand our own careers. Would you have any key points or advice To other optoms i'm hoping to expand their career as well
1: if if you have an entrepreneurial bone in you if there's an idea that is itching uh why why not give it a go i think the journey will take you to a lot of cool places you'll meet a lot of people and even if it doesn't become what you thought it would be even if it becomes a total flop you'll still learn something from it, which may be very useful for other things down the track. I think it's so important for optometrists to also go beyond clinical optometry. I think the most successful optometrists are those who possess skills that are more than just clinical. So yeah, go. I have a lot of, well, I, young optometrists are much more tech-savvy than I am. And I think they have the potential to do a lot more with their wow, well, with their knowledge. Well,
0: Sean, I just can't say the, the biggest thank you for coming on board. Just listening to your story has just been amazing. I just there's so many lessons to to be learned from hearing you talk, um, so many things just for us to, to, I guess, learn from and take from. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. I really hope, and I know that you've, you've really inspired, I'm sure, a lot of optoms to hopefully pursue that entrepreneurship spirit that they have. So the biggest thank you for coming on board. Thank you for having me. No worries, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Optometry Talks. We have multiple interviews in this career podcast series, so make sure to check them out. If you're looking to explore more career options, the Optometry Australia Mentoring Program is a great way to connect to a mentor and start your journey. Registration is easy. Head to the OA website for more details. If you need further help at any stage, the team at Optometry New South Wales ACT exists to support you. Feel free to call us on 2 9712 or send us a message via email or social media. Once again, thank you so much to Sean and thank you for joining us today for this episode. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. This episode of Optometry Talks was brought to you compliments of Optometry New South Wales ACT.